My name's Rob. Welcome here, everybody. Happy Resurrection, Resurrection Sunday. There is a bit more room at the front. Just so you know, if the power goes out, everyone in the back is going to feel like you're in a different building all of a sudden, so you may want to invest in a closer seat now, and you're welcome to move, but you're also free to stay. Like I said, my name's Rob, and I just want to bring a message from the Scripture this morning to complement all the worship and truth that we've received already. Very grateful for the youth and the drama that they put together. That was awesome. But I want to talk about the resurrection. The resurrection is a movement. When, when Christians talk about it, it is a technical term. It's a movement from going from being someone who can die and has died to moving to being somebody who is alive and can't die again. That's what I'm talking about here. As opposed to something like a resuscitation, which is when you maybe spend a little bit too much time underwater and the lifeguard pulls you up and then you get some mouth-to-mouth resuscitation and you're just back to normal. That's not what I'm talking about, not what we're talking about. We're talking about a, uh, a fairly different deal. But why don't we read some Bible? The main thing I want to talk about today is how Jesus thought his coming back from the dead was so important and it changed a lot of stuff. And so Jesus said this, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. This is a big deal to him. When Jesus came back from the dead, he spent a number of days on the earth with his disciples, but not a ton. He spent a goodly amount of time proving to his disciples that he was not dead anymore, but it wasn't that much time. It's like five weeks or something like that. I'm not even sure. I don't do the math. That's Greg's job. So don't ask me. Don't bug me. Don't accuse me of misrepresenting things. I don't do the math. That's Greg's job. Just bear with me as a fallen creature. However, with the time Jesus was here, he wanted his disciples to know what was important to him. And so we're going to read this story about the disciples spending some time with Jesus afterwards, and we're going to learn about how important the resurrection of Jesus was from this. So let's read some scripture. This is from the Gospel of Luke, starting in verse 36 of chapter 24. And as his disciples were talking about these things, this is a sighting of Jesus that a couple disciples had experienced, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. And they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. 
Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses to these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. God, would you give us grace? Would you help me to be a good servant of your word? And would you help us to hear what you're saying well? In Jesus' name, amen. So it really is important for Christians that Jesus came back from the dead. Super duper, really important. If it doesn't hap- didn't happen, we're the dumbest people on the earth. That's 1 Corinthians 15. The people who were out there telling people about Jesus said, if Jesus didn't come back bodily, physically, and a and with eternal life from the dead, we're the dumbest, stupidest, most useless, most lying, most deceiving, most manipulating losers in the world, and you should just pity us and probably imprison us. True fact? Okay? Okay, we're starting off on a high point here. Everybody's feeling good about themselves. But this is... This is one of the things. It's like, let's say someone sold you a car and it had no engine and no tires and no roof and no windscreen. Have they sold you a car? No, they've sold you a piece of junk. And when we sell Christianity, if it doesn't come with a Christ who has come back from the dead, you've been bamboozled, you've been hoodwinked, you've been sold a piece of junk. And so just getting that fact out there, everything depends on Jesus having come back from the dead. And you know who really believes this? Jesus. Jesus really believed that his disciples didn't have any hope in this world unless they knew he came back from the dead. So when they were talking about somebody seeing Jesus, he showed up to them and said, peace be with you, and frightened the snot out of them. Total fail. Hey, everybody, calm down. Because they thought he was dead. Okay? This is one of the... He was for a little while. But they, because they were normal people, they thought dead people stay dead. Right? This is one of the things I like about about our Bible. It, It feels true. It feels like a bunch of normal people, how you would normally react to stuff. If this were just written about people trying to impress everybody with how awesome they are, the disciples wouldn't have looked like such goombas. If, if this story was actually made up by Peter, he wouldn't have come off looking like such a loser all the time. And so here's Jesus appearing to everybody, and the story is they don't want to believe it. Hey, everybody, I'm back. Ah, it's a ghost! Somebody call Bill Murray. Get the ectoplasmic lasso going. Right? We're in a horror film. It's a zombie. Protect your brains. That's how they, they reacted like normal people. And one of the things that's crazy about this story to me is, you know, when did Jesus finally convince them that he was real? when he ate some broiled fish. 
Doesn't that just sound normal? Like, okay, we, we finally believed he was a living person again because we had some, <laughs> we had some the catch, you know, from Mickey D's. Somebody had some leftover filet fish He's like, you guys have any, anything left over from lunch? Well, nobody actually finishes these things, so it seemed like a good idea, but halfway through, okay, I'll eat that. I'm just joking. You're allowed to enjoy those things if you want to. But it just seems so human. We don't believe it's you. Touch me. Look at my wounds. Here's my feet. Here's my hands. Oh my goodness, this might be true, but we still don't believe it. Well, do you have a snack for me? Okay, look, I'm eating, and it's not hitting the floor. Passing through my body. So it was really important for Jesus that his disciples understood that he really did come back from the dead. And he wasn't just telling good ideas and spreading a philosophy and trying to start an ism. No, he's alive. And so this morning I want to talk about seven ways that the resurrection changed the world. And you could go on all day because everything is changed by Jesus coming back. But let's just highlight seven things. And I've done the math. That means I've got about three minutes a point if I'm going to be generous and get you all home in time for your hams or whatever you're having. But if Greg can just suddenly announce that there's going to be an extra 20 minutes of worship on Sunday, (laughs) this is all his fault, however long I go. Come on. Number one, the resurrection proved that the father of Jesus is the boss. Okay. I like listening to old guys talk about war stories. You know this, I know this. Is it a strength? Is it a weakness? Let's not judge. But recently I was listening to another one of these, these stories, and it was a guy probably from the 60s, and he ended up in the army, and he was in one of these missions where the guy said, hey, if you volunteer for this mission, you need to know we're either going to totally win this thing or we're all dead. There's not going to be any survivors if this goes south, and we're so far behind enemy lines that you'll never get rescued, even if you're going to win. It's 100 miles to the nearest border, you're toast. Everybody everybody ready? And then they actually got volunteers. There we go. But he was talking about as they were getting ready for the mission, right before they went, they had this like impromptu church service that one of the, the sergeants led, and he just said he was remembering all the soldiers kneeling down to get right with God, because you could probably be dead soon. And he just had this little line that was this, you know, don't kid yourself that you're in control. The man upstairs decides. Don't kid yourself that you're in control. The man upstairs decides. Now, that's totally how some old-timer would talk about things. I don't love the phrase, the man upstairs, but it is true. Let's not kid each other that we're in control. It really is God who decides. And the resurrection was meant to be God's total dunk on this. And I've probably said this before, and I'm going to keep saying it because we need to hear this. 
The resurrection of Jesus was designed for Jesus to swallow all the strength and power that unbelieving man could throw at God and gobble it up and spit it back out. To prove that we're not in control and God decides. He went before a court with Pilate and was wrongfully condemned in order to destroy the power of human legal systems. He was wrongfully accused by religious leaders of committing crimes, even though he was the only person ever who always told the truth in order to destroy all false religious powers. He was abandoned by his disciples at the moment of his greatest needs in order to destroy the feeling that you need to have strength in numbers to get something done. He was betrayed for money by one of his closest friends in order to destroy the power that you think if you can have the cash, you can get people to do what you want. He was pierced by soldiers and thrown into a tomb to prove that human violence does not have the final word. He was even hung on a cross, which is what the Old Testament said, how God proved that people were under God's curse, even to prove that the Old Testament's power was being broken. Everything wrong that we could ever fear happening to us, Jesus had happened to him to prove that we are not in control and the Father gets to decide. Because we can do all the power that humans have, swords and money and politics and legal systems and abandonments and betrayals and your family stuck on the sidelines watching it happen without any way to do anything about it. And on the morning of the third day, God said, I decide you're going to live forever now. So who's not in control? You'll enjoy the morning better if you put your hand up. Who's not in control? Us. The resurrection proved that what we could never do, God did right after we did everything we thought we could do. Game over. But it's good news for us. Jesus also proved through the resurrection, that we live in a universe where now faith must conquer fear. I love how Jesus does this thing where they they take a time to show Jesus massaging faith into his disciples when they're so terrified, even by him. Now, they were kind of scared to start off with. We would all be scared. Look, if, if I got arrested and they televised me being beaten to death, would everyone be excited to come to church here the next Sunday? Wouldn't you be a little stressed out wondering what was going to happen next? His disciples, their anxiety levels were a little bit on the don't go to school side of things, right? They needed a mental health day, but they weren't getting one. So they were stressed out to start off with, and then they think they see a ghost. And we just see Jesus in this story that we already read massaging into them faith. Hey, it's not okay for you to be afraid. Peace to you. The walking dead. Nope, not okay. Touch me. I live. Notice me. It's me. Okay, it looks like it's you. But I still can't believe it. This is such great news. Well, give me the fish. 
And Jesus is just massaging into their souls this fact that they need to have faith in him. That is the appropriate response to a resurrected Christ. That is the appropriate attitude in a world that there is a Messiah who's going to live forever, reigning from heaven over top of it. This is the goal for us. And Jesus is just showing us with his resurrection. It's natural to be afraid. Even sometimes the thing that will freak you out the most is Jesus showing up. Not fair. But it's not okay to stay there. Because our faith needs to start triumphing over all our fears. Because Jesus has proven that he can conquer everything. And that he's for us. He's the one showing up to them. They're not chasing him down. He's chasing them down. Same story in your life. Jesus is doing more to reach you than you're doing to seek him. Amen? And his goal is to get your faith bigger than your fears. And me first and me too. Point letter C. I'm just messing with you. The resurrection was designed to confirm God's word as true. Listen to Jesus share his priorities here. here. These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, which he means like all of our Old Testament. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Jesus sees his friends, I'm alive. And they're like, man, he says, the first thing I want you to understand is that God's word is true. The whole history is designed so that when I come back from the dead, you'll get it that the book is from God. And that you can trust it and believe it and obey it. And it's going to turn out great because I'm alive. And the whole book was pointing towards a suffering Messiah who's going to come back from the dead. So, touch my hands. Watch me eat the fish. And from now on, believe everything God's written in the book is one of the points. And I love this. I love that it says Jesus opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Because we need to know that this book is supernatural. And, I mean, it's very natural. But the words and the message and the God behind it is supernatural. And even understanding this book is supernatural. Point number one, God decides. And you can ask him to decide that you will understand his word better. Hello? It doesn't matter how you did in school. It doesn't matter if you prefer movies and comic books. You can study the word asking Jesus to open your mind to understand the truth in the word because he's in control. He gets to decide how smart and dumb each one of us is. We should ask that it's smart. <laughs> True fact? But we need to know when we, when we worship Jesus, he's risen from the dead. He's responding to us and saying, so yeah, trust my word in your life, for your life, over your life. Because one of the reasons he came back was to prove that God's word is true and trustworthy and powerful and good and will work for you. Amen? Amen. Point number four. 
Jesus established a kingdom of forgiveness through the resurrection of the dead. Um, I know there's lots of things about Jesus that you can say. Is it a supernatural kingdom? Yes. Is it a kingdom with healing? Yes. Is it a kingdom of the Bible? Yes. But one of the things that marks the kingdom of Jesus off from every other thing is that it is a kingdom based on forgiveness. And this is what I mean. The only way into this kingdom is through forgiveness. Every single citizen in the kingdom of heaven is a forgiven citizen. That's how you get in here. If you want into Jesus' everlasting kingdom, you come to him and you say, please forgive me for my sins. I believe in you. And he does forgive you and you're in. And the king of this kingdom is such a forgiver. If you're reading any of your uh, scriptures this week, going through Holy Week, you might remember this, this just stood out to me so powerfully from the story of Jesus when he's being crucified, when he's being mocked and beaten, when the soldiers are just turning him into hamburger with fists and whips, he literally prays for them. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And when we're, I'm reading this, I'm just dying because I could never do that. To be the recipient of pain, to be the recipient of, of uh, evil, to be the recipient of wrongdoing, I think my soul would just be just going like, this is not fair. But the king of our kingdom isn't just taking the blows going, Father, this is not fair. I don't deserve this. They're being bad. They're doing bad things to me. They're being inspired by Satan. This is demonic. This is wrong. Instead, he's speaking out, Father, forgive them. They don't have a clue what they're doing. The king is a king of forgiveness. And the only way in is through forgiveness. We're, this is He's created this kingdom of people being forgiven. And forgiveness is such a huge part of this that when there's warfare between the kingdom of Christ and the kingdom of darkness, it's often about forgiveness. If you read in 2 Corinthians... Has anybody read 2 Corinthians lately? <laughs> Just one person. So I get to do what I wanted to do anyways. There's this fight in the church. And it's starting to get resolved. And the Apostle Paul, who's planted this church, is urging each other to forgive. And he says this, If anyone whom you forgive... Sorry, anyone who you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I've forgiven, if I've forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. And I've been thinking about this passage quite a bit. And one of the things about this is that when Satan wants to get into a church, one of the ways he tries to do it is by creating a pocket of unforgiveness in that church. And the way I'm thinking about this, and I pray regularly for this situation, but it's like spiritually 
Satan is the Russian army, and they don't get in with tanks and bombs and missiles. They get in with unforgiveness. That's the attack on the kingdom of God, because it is a kingdom of forgiveness. It spreads through forgiveness. It spreads by more and more people being forgiven by God, and they come into the kingdom through forgiveness, and it's built up through us having to forgive each other. And when Satan wants to get territory back into the kingdom, he tries to get unforgiveness amongst the people of God, and that creates a little pocket of his influence and territory there. That's his scheme. And so when we think about Jesus resurrected from the dead and we think about how he's created this kingdom on earth, he's the king of kings, he's the emperor over emperors, we need to think that he reigns and rules through forgiveness. And everything that isn't forgiveness is the enemy. Nice Rob, not nice Rob. Oh, I've got the... Not not nice Rob. Nice Rob, not nice Rob. Okay, not nice. We have all been through so much stuff in the last two years. And uh, it's time to forgive. Okay? It's time to forgive. Whatever. You need to be free. We need to be free. We need to not have the enemy knocking at our door. We need to forgive. I need to forgive. You need to forgive. And then when it gets, feels hard to forgive, you know that's not the Holy Spirit. Amen? You know that's not the resurrected Jesus making it hard to forgive. You know. You just got to say, is this you, Holy Spirit? Tastes real bitter. No. We know. We know. We know now. We all know. Jesus came back to forgive people so they could dwell with him forever. Everything that's not that, don't trust it. Number five, we're doing great for time. Jesus changed the goal of life into eternal life. For the Romans and the Greeks of Jesus' day, one of the things you wanted is you wanted a legacy. Okay, They didn't have real hope for life after death. They kind of had this idea that all dead people kind of end up in this melting pot that they call like Tartarus or other things. It's just with a place of the dead where you go and you're like a shade and you float around. It's like in Hercules. Ever see that Disney Hercules back before Disney was um, advocating for pedophilia where they made like semi-decent movies and stuff like that? So, true fact. Anyhow... Um, the place of the dead where the shades just wander around. So they had no hope for life after death. So their hope was to try to become famous, try to become legendary, try to have this huge legacy. They wanted to become the Achilles. They wanted to become the Hercules. That's what you wanted to do because the only way to live past your death was through fame. But what it does is it gives you a, a life that's really just focused on whatever 70 or 80 years you have. And that's kind of what we're like, Right? It's all about just like what you're going to do with the next 50 years of your life. How are you going to handle your money till you retire? And then what are you going to do with your fun times when you're t- till you're retired? And then you've got to buy, buy your plot over there so that even your coffin's all taken care of. And, but what happens after that? Uh, uncomfortable to talk about. Now the Jesus who came back from the dead said this. He said, what does it gain a man or a woman... 
If you're going to get the whole world, but you're going to lose your soul. You need to keep your soul. Because wherever your soul's at, when you die, you're going to experience forever. And Jesus came back from the dead to prove that's true. If whoever we're listening to hasn't come back from the dead, they don't know what happens after you die. Jesus came back from the dead to be a trustworthy voice about eternity. It's not nothing. It goes on forever, with God or without him. And he says you need to keep your soul. Whatever happens in this life, whatever I do or anybody does, whether you have good days or bad days, whatever the weather's doing, whatever your friends are doing, whatever's online, whatever Europe's doing, whatever the states are doing, whatever China's doing, you need to keep your soul. Because it's forever. And so... Jesus changed it. Now, let's illustrate. Imagine this deal happens. It's like game show time. We're just like, okay, we'll just pick on nobody. I'll pick on nobody. (laughs) Pick on Slim Jim here. I don't think there's any Slim Jims around. Slim Jim's up here, and we say, Jim, you've got a choice to make. Oh, we're so excited for you. You can either... You can pick one of two different things. The first thing is this. Jim, you can pick door number one, and what will happen is everybody in the room will give you all of their stuff. All their money, all their cars, all their houses, all their important positions in the city. You get everything you could ever get from all these people. You'll be a millionaire. Here's the trick. You can't leave the church building. Because if you do, as soon as you leave these doors, the cranial bomb will go off. And you're dead. Yeah. It's severe. But it helps illustrate. So here's Jim. Whoa, I could become the richest person in the room, own all the stuff of all the peoples, but I'm just stuck here. Because if I leave, I'm toast. Would you want that? Would you want to be a millionaire but can only enjoy it here for a while? Door number two, give away all your stuff, Jim, so that you walk out of here with only the clothes on your back. But when you leave, we'll give you all of Twitter, which apparently is worth $43 billion. I didn't know that until this last week. What would you pick? Well, well, of course you want the one where your head doesn't explode when you leave the building. Because trying to just enjoy all of life in the confines of this building is a waste. And when Jesus came back from the dead, he proved that life goes on forever with God or without him. And if we don't plan to live with him forever, we are going to have unlimited regret. And that's the pain, I think, of eternal life without God. Whatever you think about flames or whatever is going to know you did it to yourself. But you can't take responsibility for it, so you're just going to hate God more and more and more because in your soul you'll know you did it to yourself. 
but you can't take responsibility for it because that would actually be a good thing, and so you're just going to hate him more and more and more, and we're talking about unlimited hatred and unlimited shame. Because now's the time to get right with God and to stay right with God and to keep your soul. And God said, you know it's true because I raised my son from the dead. Point number six. He gave us roles in his mission. What's the mission? That, that this message of repentance for forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem, which happened. And you are witnesses of these things. Now, I, know, I think specifically he's talking to that group of people, the disciples back then, but we're witnesses of the 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 witnesses. We're like probably 50th generation witnesses by now. But we have this job with Jesus. He came back from the dead and he said, the point of human history now is to get all nations, all tribes, all people groups to hear that they can repent of their life apart from the living God and be forgiven of everything and be with God forever. That's the mission. That's why stuff happens. That's why they invented airplanes and printing presses. That's why people get COVID or don't get COVID. All of the stuff that's happening, God decides, and it's all contributing towards the mission. Raising kids and going to school and having Sunday mornings and having children church and having women's brunches. I'm sure that'll happen sometimes. And having bacon and men's breakfasts. That is happening. Everything, everything, everything is still here for the purpose of more people hearing the message. And in Second Peter, I think it is, he says, hey, we know it's taken a long time. But don't stress out, because today, to God, excuse me, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. God's been waiting two days so far for Jesus to return. But Peter tells us, wait and hasten the day of that return. Has anybody been uh, wondering if it's the end times yet? If this is the big one? Is anybody, somebody, somebody seen a YouTube clip of any kind? Okay, whether it is or it isn't, the scripture calls us to hasten the return of Christ. We're actually not supposed to try to avoid the end times. We're supposed to get it. Why is it taking so long? We're supposed to try to hasten it by spreading the gospel. And Jesus told us that he, he wants everyone to hear. So until everyone's heard, We're making it take more time under the sovereignty of God. We're supposed to hasten the day. We've got this mission to do. I don't know. Is anybody excited about the end times yet? We're supposed to be. Come back now. This world sucks. This Jesusless world stinks. Come back, Lord. He says, I hear you. <laughs> so why don't you help these frontiers people? There's so many Muslims who haven't come home yet. And then there's these people groups on islands that don't have the scriptures in their own Bibles yet. Hurry up, church. 
Second Peter, hasten the day. But we've got this job. Jesus came back from the dead to give you a job. Let's do our job. Let's do our jobs. Let's do it well, with joy. Okay, finally. You guys are wonderful. And he released his spirit for his work. I just... Sorry. It's wonderful that Jesus ended off talking about, in the Gospel of Luke, saying... Uh, wait in the city until you get the Holy Spirit. So he's telling them to wait about 50 days for the day of Pentecost when he sends the Holy Spirit. And because, truth be told, you could say Good Friday is the most important day in the year. And then you could say Resurrection Sunday is the most important day of the year. And then you could say Ascension Day is the most important day of the year. And then you could say Pentecost is the most important day of the year because it's this package deal that God doled out over time like the Mario Kart expansion. Anybody know what I'm talking about here? You get like two, and then there's six more. You have no idea when they're coming. It's a good deal handed out over time. The incarnation was the most important day. It's, it's all the most important days. Welcome to your God. He's so generous. He gives you like ten most important days. But this is the thing. One of the things. When Jesus was raised from the dead, it was to give us his Holy Spirit. And we don't trust the Holy Spirit enough yet. True fact. And it's not a guilt trip, but true fact... We don't trust him enough yet. He's a person. He's a divine person. He's uh, got the same character of Christ. If you trust Jesus, you can trust the Holy Spirit. He's got the same character of the Father. If you like the Father, you should like the Holy Spirit. It's the Spirit of the Father. He sometimes gets a bad rap because he's like the one that we imagine will make us do dangerous things. I like the Father. He loves me. I like Jesus. He's saved for me. But the Holy Spirit's going to send me on missions. Right? Then we Yeah, the Holy Spirit's going to make me go witness to people, right? I love Jesus. He saved me so that he forgives me when I don't go witness to people. The Holy Spirit's going to make me go. Anybody? No guilt trips. I hate guilt trips. Just x-rays. Is, your, is this lump here unbelief right by your heart? Yes, we can help you there. So I just want to, I just, when we're here, when we're here, when we're here together, oh, to, to righteously lust after a more powerful walk in the Holy Spirit of God, a more faith-filled walk in the Holy Spirit of God, a more fruitful walk in the Holy Spirit of God. I was talking with our community group. This is where I'm at in life. I will like review my day. I'll review meetings. I'll review any like like this, you know, when you're having this thing with people. And I'll just do this. Was it love? Was it joy? Was it peace? Was it patience? Was it kindness? Was it goodness? Was it gentleness? Was it faithfulness? Was it self-control? The fruit of the Spirit? And if it's not, 
I repent. It's gone. It's done. Like, I need the Spirit. We need the Spirit. We need the character of the Spirit. We need the power of the Spirit. Was I trusting the Spirit? We know that we're called by God to fan into flame the gift of God that is in us, hopefully through the laying on some hands. If you haven't had that happen yet, we can try to help you there. Because we have not been given a spirit of cowardice, but of power and of love and of self-control. So if what's coming out of your heart and your mind and your mouth isn't power and love and self-control... Holy Spirit. Amen? So, like, let's ask. Let's ask for more Holy Spirit. Not that you get more, but we need more. Not that there's, like, levels, but there are experiences. By faith, usually. It's a matter of faith. It's a matter of faith. What limits us in the Lord? Unbelief. What sets us free in the Lord? We trust. It's about faith. There's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. You are not condemned right here. But let's believe for more. Let's trust for more. Let's say yes for more. Are we going to worship? Okay. I got so much time. It's like 11.36. This is nothing. We're going to worship, right? We're going to need some band to come up. Christian, newcomers, come on all in. You need some more Holy Spirit, why don't you come to the front? God will meet you. If nobody prays for you, do you even need them to when you're in the presence of God? Lift your faith to Him. Let's, let's just, we, this might be the only time some of you ever hear my voice. And that might be a good thing. But let's get Jesus. He's raised from the dead. We're forgiven. Believe it. Come and Receive the Holy Spirit as you need to. Let's not be afraid of the call of God in our life. Let's not be afraid to forgive. Let's not be afraid of Jesus' reign. He's in control. We're not. Let's not be afraid of what he's going to do with his unlimited power over the universe. Let's trust him. And you can come. If you believe, you can come. And if you don't believe, we can help you with that too. So... Whoever wants some, stand. There's no pressure. Especially if, if standing is painful for you, you can lift up your heart to the Lord. You can stand in your heart. Jesus, I believe in you. You are raised from the dead and ruling and reigning. And Jesus, we, your people, no, we need you. God, I want to start with the people who feel unforgiven. And I pray for just a breaking of that stronghold and that lie. Don't know where it came from and it doesn't really matter. What matters is that there's a cross where every lie can go to die. That's what matters. And you can be forgiven. If you tell Jesus, forgive me right now, and you mean it, you're forgiven. Jesus said to us, if your brother comes to you seven times in a day, you forgive him. How much more so can the Lord forgive us 70 times 7 times 7,000, even in a day, through the cross of Jesus and through his shed blood? Now that you're right with God, Ask 
for the next thing he wants to do in your heart and mind through the Holy Spirit. The next freedom, the next gifting, the next opportunity, the next revelation, opening your mind to understand the scripture, just ask like a needy child. That's the best way to get in God's generous kingdom.